you would turn with me to Romans chapter 6. This morning I'd like to look specifically at verse 4, but let's read Romans 6, 1 through 14. Romans 6, 1 through 14. The Word of God says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning in deep gratitude. Father, that which You have shown from old times, all the way back in the Garden of Eden when You promised a Savior, Further in Genesis, we see the Savior illustrated in the Ark of Noah and Noah's family being rescued from your wrath that was poured out upon the earth. And we're reminded as we go forward through history of the temples in which animals were slain for the covering of sin. The streams of blood that would flow from the temple that proclaim to the world that You are a holy, holy, holy God. That You are serious about sin. That we are not like You. That we could never earn Your favor. Because our head was Adam. Our head was one our, our leader was one 
that has led us to sin. Our flesh is one that, that dives into sin. Father, we are not like You. And yet, all throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture, all throughout history, You have proclaimed to us that You will rescue us from our sin. That You had a Savior. That You would send Your Son to live a life without sin. To be tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet to do it perfectly without sin. And that as an innocent lamb, He would lay down His life and He would take the punishment that we rightly deserve. Father, You demonstrate in Your glory perfect grace, perfect mercy. And this morning, Father, we are reminded of Your immense glory. We're reminded that what You have proclaimed through history, that it is finished. You have proven to the world that You have done what You said You would do. You have proven to the world that You alone are deserving of all glory because You are perfectly righteous. You are perfectly holy. You are perfectly just. And you are perfectly kind and patient and merciful and gracious. Father, as my brother, whom I love, has said so many times, what can we say to these things but hallelujah? Hallelujah that You would save sinners like us. Hallelujah, that we can look to the proof of the resurrection. Hallelujah, that you would provide rescue to all who turn from their sin and trust in Christ. Hallelujah, that you would change our hearts, that you would deliver us from this heart of flesh and evil and that You would give us a new heart that desires You, that, that is changed to be like You more and more. That You rescue us even from our own sin. Hallelujah, Father. We praise You this morning. Father, as we come to Your Word, I pray that You would draw us near that Your Holy Spirit would light the darkened caverns that we, of our hearts that we so want to conceal and to hide, that they would be illuminated, Father, and that we would be brought to repentance, that we would be brought to a deeper knowledge of You, that, Father, we would be brought to glorify You more. Is our plea today before You. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a glorious day. Amen. 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 Being raised in a home that, that 
Um, Christianity was kind of something we did on on Easter and Christmas and um, maybe some other times, but not very often. Being raised in a society to where, at least when I grew up, Christmas was our major holiday. It was something to, uh, for me to come to Scripture and realize that today is the best holiday of the year. Today is the greatest day. Not every day that the Lord blesses is good, but today specifically when we remember the resurrection of our Savior. Today when we remember that what we stand upon, the Word of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, when He proved without a shadow of a doubt that He was who He said He was, and when He said to Teltalistai, paid in full, that all those who come to Him in repentance and faith, today we remember that it is true. He will rescue us. What a day. Amen? What a day. Let's look at Romans 6-4 this morning as it relates to the resurrection of our Savior. It says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This morning as we come to ponder and to think upon the story of the resurrection or the account of the resurrection of Christ, there's so much. We, we, could, we could preach on this for years and never, never extinguish the magnitude of how, how amazing this is. And so often we come to it and we, we realize and we recognize, and rightly so, that Christ raised from the dead proved that He was who He said He was, that He raised Himself. That no, When we look through Scripture and we look at what Christ did, in his miracles. And if you remember the Lazarus, his friend, that Lazarus, Lazarus died, and it seems that Jesus purposely drug his feet to go see what was going on. In fact, doing so, once again, to glorify himself. Because in this time, they believed that there was only a certain amount of time um, that they had before someone could be risen from the dead. I'm not sure that they ever saw this happen beforehand, but they had these um, somewhat rules in place of how they thought this worked. And Jesus purpose, purposely said, well, I'm just going to wait past that time. And I'm going to take my time and I'm going to go there. And what happened? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We would say, what a great miracle. But this morning, what an even greater miracle is the dead man raised himself from the dead. It wasn't that a live man, a live man did it, but a dead man did it, proving he is God. Not only is he man, but he is God. We, we see this illustration or this, this identifying with Christ, Christ being crucified on Good Friday and, and being buried and um, being in the grave. 
And then on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, He is now raised from the dead. And we, we see this illustration. It's built into an ordinance of the church, and that is in baptism. That every time that we go to baptize somebody, they are essentially identifying with Christ. They are saying, I am one with Christ in His burial, and I am one with Christ in His resurrection. We find Jesus Himself begins to teach on this about 25 years earlier in John chapter 3, verses 1-7. through It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to Him, Rabbi, we know that You are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that You do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And Jesus says the same thing to you today. You must be born again. The first thing that we look at in, in just Romans 6.4 is we find the separation. And it's not just in Romans 6.4. It's in, in all of what we read there in Romans. But the first thing we notice is that we are buried with Him into death. In Romans 6, 1 through 3 again, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We find on Good Friday or Monday, Thursday, we find in this time period where Jesus is um, before Pontius Pilate. And if you remember on Palm Sunday, we, we talked about this a little bit, that, uh, that this crowd who once was praising Jesus, who once was saying, you know, the King has come and, and laying their coats and their palm branches before Him as if He's royalty, we find just a short time later, they are of the same crowd that's yelling, crucify Him. Now, Christ had nothing to be crucified for of Himself. He had no crime. In fact, if you remember, Pontius Pilate couldn't even find anything to penalize Him for. To, 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 he, he finally at one point gave in and said, well, go ahead and flog Him. I guess we'll, do, we'll give him some kind of a crime. I can't think of anything. So here, just do this and, and that'll be good enough. And we know that it didn't stop there. And here's the innocent man. The innocent Son of God. The only one who has lived perfectly. 
Now we we live in a time and in, in, in secular history we've we've seen evil men and evil governments say things like, "You show me the man and I will find the crime to punish him for." In essence, saying there's no innocent people. In fact, tyrannical rulers come up with all kinds of laws. That way, if they decide they don't like you, they'll they'll find something to punish you for. But this wasn't Christ. In fact, he broke no law. He wasn't like you. He wasn't like me. So when I examine my heart, I, I can't understand why God doesn't strike me right now. But this wasn't Christ. He had nothing to be punished for. Yet the crowd shouts, crucify him. Now, I would ask you the same thing this morning. If you're in Christ, when you examine your heart, when you examine yourself, and you find, when I think of examining my heart, I don't think of just dark caverns. I think of it is infected with darkness everywhere. When you examine your heart and you, you compare yourself to God's standard, do you know what your rightful response should be? It's quite the opposite. We find the crowd yells, crucify him to the innocent man. When you examine your heart, you should shout inside, crucify it. Crucify it. When I find the sin in my heart, God, crucify it. Put my flesh to death. Put my flesh to death. Let me identify with Christ. Put this flesh to death that I might be risen to conquer this sin. Father, conquer the sin within me. Put it to death. Or do we coddle it? Or do we say, well, I kind of, this isn't all that bad. God's kind. He's patient. He knows I'm not perfect. Friends, when we say things like this, we aren't saying crucify this. We are saying crucify Him. Do you see that? If we hold on to our sin, we are of this crowd who says crucify Him. Especially if we believe that we're in Christ. To say that, that, that my sin is small and therefore it should be excused, therefore it should be overlooked, is to say, go ahead and keep putting it on Christ. Crucify Him! Don't ask me to give up my sin. Don't make me conform to the Word of God. Crucify Him! Brothers and sisters, you should be crucified with Christ. You should be putting this flesh to death. It should be being buried you should want to be with it no more. Because what does dead flesh do when it hangs around? It stinks. Right? We have animal problems that are always trying to get our chickens. And sometimes in the middle of the night, that requires me to eliminate an animal. 
And then in turn, it requires hopefully one of my children the next day to dispose of that animal. And do you know what happens if they don't? They stink. And they get disgusting. And the same is true of your flesh if you will coddle it. Brothers and sisters, don't look at Christ and say, crucify Him. Look at yourself and say, crucify me. Bury this flesh. And that's really what Paul is addressing here in Romans 6. He starts off with, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's this misconception that has began all the way clear back I think this part of Romans is probably 20 to 25 years after Christ. And already we're having this problem of people will say, well, if Christ has saved me, I have nothing to worry about. I can live however I want because I can't save myself. I can't pay for my sin. Christ has paid for it, and so therefore live it up. What what does He say? By no means. If we believe, if we think this way, we have no understanding. And in fact, the question is, or when we ask the question, why do we go on sinning? Or why is He addressing this? Why do people believe that they can go on sinning after Christ? And we find the answer in 1 Corinthians 15.34. It says, Wake up from your drunken stumper, as is right, and do not go on sinning, For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Brothers and sisters, if you think that you can come to Christ in repentance and faith and keep on living like the world lives, it's because you have no knowledge of God. And it is to your shame. And I don't just speak of the world. I'm speaking to some of you. Because you believe that you can come to the Word of God and it can say something different about how you're living and God will just be okay with it because you really want to live that way. The Bible says it's to your shame. It's because you have no knowledge of God. It is the extreme side effect of a culture that isn't interested in the Word of God. They're interested in religion to some extent. And uh, someone uh, someone sent me a message this week, and they said, isn't it ironic that this uh, mainstream person said this? And the thing that he said was, is America doesn't have a lack of God problem. America has a false God problem. They formed a God, continuing on from that, they formed a God in their own image. They've created a God that they're comfortable with. They created a God who will let them live however they want as long as they come to church or as long as they pray a prayer or as long as they do this or that, then everything is good and they can go on living just as everyone else lives. Which that doesn't mean, when I say that, it doesn't mean they can go on living just as the people at the bar do. This means they can go on living as what everyone considers a good person in our world. I'm not saying to the extreme. I'm saying if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, and you have been crucified and buried with Him, and you have been raised to new life, you cannot live as the world lives. 
you won't even desire it anymore. You will begin to hate how the world lives. You will begin to despise it. That that one thing that was within you that you used to love, you will begin to grow to not like it. It will begin to disgust you. And how does this happen? We find back or in Romans, Romans 12 that the Holy Spirit begins to transform us. And He does it by the renewal of our mind. He does it by the Word of God. If we have no knowledge of the Word of God, we can't expect to be delivered. We can't expect to be growing. We can't expect to be growing in newness of life. I've lost my place here. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away, behold, the new has come. Hear this again, brothers and sisters. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is the condition? If you are in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means that you have repented and trusted in Him and He has changed you and you pass from death to life. It means that you have passed from one day standing before God and being punished for your sin for eternity in perfect punishment, for eternity in hell. You have passed from that to life. You have passed from that to your sin has been placed upon Christ on the cross and it has been paid for in full and the righteousness of Christ has been deposited into your account. And one day you will stand before God and you'll go to heaven not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything that Christ has done. But he says, if this has happened... If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are born again. You are not the same. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul Washer writes, he says, the true convert does not receive the gospel as an addition to his previous life, but in exchange for it. A Christian isn't somebody who who has made a profession and now they've added Christ to their life and they continue on as they did before with with Christ over here. So uh, on the day of judgment, they'll be able to cling to Him. But a true convert actually exchanges his life for Christ. That Christ is why he lives. Christ is what he lives for. In Ephesians 4, 17-24, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have been callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him 
as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Have you done this? Has this happened? Have you put off your old self? Notice your old self has lots of desires. And in fact, in the, in the past several weeks, I have wrestled with my flesh and its desires. I've wrestled with wanting to do this or that, and it doesn't, it's, it's meaningless. And in light of eternity, it's, it's meaningless. What, what desires are you listening to? Is it desires to serve Christ? Is it desires to live for Him? Or is it the same desires your non-believing neighbors have? Is it the same accomplishments? One of the things that, that I wrestle with and, and people poke fun of me at it, I I love, Jake, Jake would tell you, I love certificates. I'll, do, I'll accomplish all kinds of things so I can have another certificate to put on my wall. What will that mean in 10,000 years? Obviously, if I'm learning things about Christ, it, there's some benefit there. But if it's just silliness, if it's just... Um, what have I, I talked to you, Mr. Kreitzer, about... Um, Trying to get, I'm trying to get a hundred different countries to make contact with over the radio to get my certificate. What will that mean in ten thousand years? Probably nothing. It'll probably burn up with the rest of the world. <laughs> what are your desires? Is it to have lots of money? Is it to have lots of friends? Is it to be popular? Is it to be famous? What do you want to boast about? Are we like Paul when he says, I have nothing to boast about but Christ? He's all that matters. And in fact, when you come to know Him, you become to know more and more deep down that Christ is all that matters. He's all that matters. Do you know Him in this way? There's a, a story of a, a young lady that someone came to her and offered her lots and lots of money, a, a million dollars if, he would, if she would come to his house and stay the night one night. And, and she said, well, yeah, a million dollars is a lot of money. And as the time got closer, this man came to her again and he said, well, Instead of a million, would you consider like ten thousand? And she said, "What kind of what kind of a person do you think I am?" He said, "We've already established what kind of a person you are. I'm just trying to haggle your price." 
Is that true of us when it comes to sin? Is it true of us? Because the world and many in the in many who are hearing the word of God today, they look at sin and, and they say, Well, you know, I'm I'm not gonna do this great big sin. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. Um but you know what? My my son is making me angry, so I'm going to yell at him or get snippy with him or not be patient with him or whatever it is. Whatever you want to minimize. Is taking a pen from the bank sin? Absolutely. Thou shalt not steal. And you would say, well, a pen isn't a big deal. Christ was crucified for that sin. It's a big deal. You would say maybe a little white lie isn't a big deal. Christ was crucified for that sin. It's a big deal. What is your price? Have you considered? See, it's not that, it's not that I haven't stolen a car and, and ran over somebody with it, and so I'm a pretty good person. The question is, is where, where, what's my price? How, how hard up do I need to be to cheat on my taxes? How, what's my price? When I'm having a bad day, is it easy for me to, to snap at my wife? See, what, what's happened is in the church, we, we look out to the world and, and we say, well, look how bad those people are. Look how terrible the world is becoming. And rightly so. We, we look out with Romans 1 filters on our glasses and we say, the world is falling apart. And yet, when we come to ourselves, we minimize our sins because we say, well, they are not as bad as those sins. What's your price? See, when someone sins against God, this, this is what, and I'm trying not to take a lot of rabbit trails. When someone sins against God, a lot of my job as a pastor, it seems like, is to convince people of how serious their sin really is. Because what happens is they sin against God, and just like the people in the, in the prisons and the jails, they get caught. There's, Typically, your sin finds you out. They get caught, and then they get punished. And they hate the punishment. And they don't like it. And they're like, I won't do this anymore. I don't want to be punished. Let me out of jail. Put me on parole. I don't want to do this. Uh, somebody's mad at me. I need to fix it. And the whole time, if they stay in this predicament, they will finally get over the sin, and they will do it again. Why? Because they thought the, the punishment was the severe part and they completely missed that they sinned against a holy God who gave His Son to die upon the cross to take the punishment for them that if they would turn to Him and trust in Him that He would forgive them. And, and the Bible says it pleased the Father to pour His wrath out upon His Son for the punishment of sin. 
And I'm not just saying in the world, I'm saying some of you. When you are caught in the punishment of sin, you're ready to fix it. But if you don't see how infinitely more severe it is that you have sinned against the God who has given you life and breath and everything you have, you have completely missed it. You've completely missed it. And in fact, if it doesn't bother you to sin against God, I am terrified for your soul. Because something isn't right. Something hasn't happened here. You aren't identifying with Christ. You aren't crucified and buried with Him. And it doesn't seem that you're even risen to new life because you care more about the consequences of sin than you care about offending the One whom saved you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So coming back to Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. This morning, we celebrate because if you come to Christ in repentance and faith, you and He makes you new, you will walk in newness of life. We are told of this all the way back in Ezekiel 36, 24-27. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, this is an incredible promise by God. And it was accomplished by Christ in His resurrection. He was raised from the dead. And if you are in Christ, you are raised to new life. The heart of stone was crucified and buried. And a new heart of flesh God put within you. But look what it also says. He will put within you the desire to obey Him. He will put within you the the desire to love Him and to live for Him. None of us are saved by our obedience, but if we are saved, we will desire to obey. In Galatians 6, 11-15, it says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But it be, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now listen to this. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What Paul is saying here is you and I can try to live up to the law. 
and you will fail miserably. It's the man who says he can fly to the moon and he stands up and begins to flap his arms like crazy. And we all laugh at that man because he surely isn't serious. There's no way he's going to fly to the moon. And in fact, we're in the same scenario when we think that we can earn God's favor. When we think that we can somehow keep the, rule, the law good enough when we can somehow do what it takes to earn our salvation. Paul is saying, it doesn't count for anything. The best thing that you did in your life, if you fed 10,000 starving people in Africa, you know what Paul says? It counts for nothing. It did you nothing. Now, I'm not saying don't do that. That's a good thing to do. But it doesn't count toward your salvation. Why? Because you're a lawbreaker. And if you think doing good things is going to save you, it's, you think that you may, might be able to bribe the judge to overlook your lawlessness. But what does Paul say is important? But a new creation. Are you a new creation? It's what... Resurrection Sunday proclaims you can be a new creation. Christ has conquered. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has risen to new life. And He offers it to you. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Him. Finally, this morning, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says, But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look what it says. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Hear me this morning. If you think that you can be saved from your sin and still live as the world lives, the Bible is in direct contradiction to you. The Bible doesn't say that we earn God's favor by living different from the world, but it says if you are saved, if you are born again, you will be made like Christ. It says having the appearance of godliness, but denying His power. What is the power of the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify. The power of the Holy Spirit is to make you, first to make you come to Christ, and then to make you like Christ. Now hear me this morning. If you're believing in a religion that doesn't have the power to sanctify you, you're believing in a religion that's powerless to raise our Savior. I believe there's a connection there. If we believe in 
true, if we believe in true biblical Christianity, this Christianity that, that Christ has the power to raise Himself and He has the power to raise you to new life, there's a connection. If you deny one, you deny both. Are you a new creation? See, there's lots of people in the world who they're trusting that God will raise them when they die, but they don't think that He he has the power to change them to be more like Christ. At least that's how they live. And if that's you, brother or sister, you should be in fear. If something is very shipwreck in your faith, Christ saved you to glorify Him. Let me give you this last thought. Christ didn't save you because He loved you above all. Are you hearing me? That sometimes is hard to hear. Christ didn't save you because He loved you above all. He saved you because He was demonstrating the glory of the Father above all. And if your salvation doesn't include glorifying the Father and newness of life, you haven't found the true salvation. And you still stand condemned. Christ raised in newness of life. And all those whom He has saved, He has raised to newness of life. And this morning, if that's not you, Cast yourself upon Him. Seek Him. Turn to Him. Repent. Seek Him until you find Him. As I've said so many times, if you don't know Christ, do whatever it takes. Cash in all of your vacation and just seek Him and seek Him and seek Him until you know He has changed you. Grab onto Him. Just as the lady who... who grabbed onto his cloak, who rustled the crowd, who said, I just need to touch the hem of his garment. Grab onto him. Get your Bible. Get alone and seek him and read and, and, and pray and seek after him until you know without a shadow of a doubt that your flesh has been crucified and he is raising you to new life. It is the most important thing in the entire world in your entire life. He has conquered the grave. He is who He said He was. He offers you forgiveness. How could we not turn to Him? How could we not love Him? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You again for this day. Father, thank you that there was nothing in me that that saved me because I would have messed it up. Thank you that beyond my stubbornness and my flesh, Father, you grabbed me. Father, I pray for all those in this room that you would grab them, that you would draw them near. Father, this morning, we wouldn't just celebrate a holiday. 
but we would celebrate our King. Our King was risen. He left in humility. He left in being tortured and beaten and 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 his meekness laying down his power restraining restraining it against those whom rightly deserved his wrath and yet father on this day when he is risen to new life risen from the grave father he is risen as a glorious king Father, in this room, there are two different types of people. There are those whom recognize Him as their King today, and there are those whom will recognize Him at the end of time. But Father, make no mistake, He is all of our King today. Father, You are glorious. Our King is victorious. Father, would You... Show us the greatest of miracles in changing hearts and raising people to new life and drawing them to you, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.